0: Hello and welcome to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. This week we're discussing the electronics industry and in particular how to tackle skill shortages in this sector. My guest is Stuart Edmondson, Chief Executive Officer of the UK Electronic Skills Foundation. Stuart Edmondson, welcome to the podcast.
1: Gavin, thank you. Uh, great to be here. Thank you for the invitation.
0: So before we dive into skills within the electronics industry, can you give us a a brief introduction to the UK Electronic Skills Foundation?
1: Yeah, of course. UKSF was founded in 2010 and we're the only STEM organisation in the UK solely focused on electronics. We were created by the Trade Association for the Sector, which was then called NMI. And we are a charity and our purpose is to promote electronics to young people and encourage more of them to pursue study and careers in the sector. A key aspect of our work is focused on connecting higher education and students with industry. And we've got partnerships with 28 universities right across the UK now, uh, and a scholarship scheme for undergraduates. The scholarship schemes had more than 750 participants, and it prepares undergraduates for study by providing work experience, employment skills development, and professional uh, networking. And uh, the scheme was awarded a Princess Royal Training Award last year, which we're very proud of.
0: Fantastic. And I know that your organisation argues that there are significant skills shortages uh, mm. of electronics engineers in the UK. What is your estimate of the size of the problem? And, and actually, how confident are you about that level of estimate?
1: It's a great question, and there should be a really uh, clear answer. But let me start by saying the IET, I think it was last year, reported across the whole STEM environment in UK, there were 173,000 vacancies. Uh, because that's across the whole of STEM. Um, and I saw a figure from uh, Engineering UK that talked about an annual shortfall of around about 57,000 engineers. That's across the whole of engineering, engineers and technicians. So that sort of puts in the, the broader perspective. Um, if you look at things like UCAS data, there's twice as many people doing mechanical engineering degrees as electrical and electronic engineers, which means that simply the demand is outstripping supply. I haven't got a figure uh, of the overall shortage, uh, and that's because we haven't been able to do that, that research. Uh, Engineering UK and the IET don't necessarily break it down by sector. Um, uh, and also, it reflects the fact that ours is a growing sector linked to things like increased uh, autonomy in uh, the, the, the vehicle sector, the car manufacturing sector um, and telecoms. Telecom is a really interesting sector. Here's three statistics about that sector. 60% of the engineering workforce in the telecom sector are over 50, and only 5% are under 30, which represents uh, the sort of challenge that we're trying to tackle. We know specifically in semiconductors, we can use some proxy measures to look at demand. And I that think that's things like the increase in skilled worker immigration, uh, which is uh, considerable, salary inflation, and things like increased job postings and we know from our own research that graduate starting salaries have have grown in the last five years which reflects the fact that uh, demand is outstripping supply and and they're north of round about thirty-five thousand for graduate um, semiconductor engineers in terms of size uh, just to give you a give you a snapshot if you take the core activity of semiconductor chip design We reckon there's about a thousand vacancies um, uh, and that represents about 80% of companies in the UK doing chip design have a vacancy, there's about a thousand vacancies. But the overall total of chip designers in the UK is probably no more than 1200 to 1500. So we could virtually double the size of our chip design workforce if we were able to meet that skills demand.
0: Now, that's really interesting. And obviously, with semiconductors, with chips, the government has had quite a big push on this. Mm. And this year published the UK Semiconductor Strategy, which talks about a number of wonderful things that the semiconductor industry in the UK is going to do over the next five to 10 years. To to what extent does delivery of that strategy depend upon addressing the kind of skills gap you've been mentioning?
1: It's vital. It's absolutely pivotal to uh, and crucial to success of delivery of the strategy. The first thing I'd say is really pleased to see a national semiconductor strategy. We've lobbied hard and long, amongst other people, uh, for the publication of the strategy. And I think it was really, really good, really good to see uh, the potential investment and the recognition of the importance of the industry to the UK and our sovereign capability and our economy. And and it's one of, semiconductors uh, is one of the five identified enabling technologies along with AI, uh, quantum and 5G and and 6G uh, are uh, one of the other ones. And all of those depend on semiconductors anyway. So it is really vital. I was really pleased to see skills recognized in the strategy specifically. um, And the two aspects that were highlighted uh, in the strategy endorsed by the Secretary of State said that we need more investment in schools, to tackle the overall shortage of people to get more young people into and secondly industry-led learning to, to uh, tackle skills gaps which absolutely resonates with uh, with our approach at the foundation
0: mm. well we've probably done the easy part of this conversation which is to talk about the problem yes. um, let's let's dive in to the harder part and, and talk about some of the solutions and of course this involves a whole lot of different players right across the education system <laughs> and beyond. Um, but let's start at the younger level and at, and at schools. So what do we need to do at schools to ensure that more people are then coming through, applying for the right qualifications <laughs> and eventually applying for engineering degrees?
1: Uh, you're right to start at schools because that is the start of the skills pipeline and the only sustainable long-term way that UK can um, tackle its skill shortage in this area is to have that skills pipeline that goes all the way back to school and um, if you uh, it's going to take a national campaign It's going to take a national level program of interventions and um, in, in order to deliver that change, but there are precedents in fact recent precedents and um, the government's work uh, in digital and the transformation of ICT into computing. Um, through initiatives linked to the National Centre for Computing Education, computing at schools, has had a real impact. And we see, you know, each year there's over 15,000 students start computer science degrees. So you can take that all the way back to introducing people at primary school to scratch um, and extracurricular and curricular activities linked to developing their coding and computing skills. And and you, you see that happen. Now the government announced that in 2014, I think it was a digital strategy, came out in 2014. So it's almost a decade away. And that's the sort of timescale that you you need to look at. I think there's three specific things that we've argued uh, should be part of that. One is highlighting more about semiconductors and electronics within the secondary curriculum, providing support to teachers to improve their capability and capacity and confidence around the subject. We need extracurricular activities, and engagements with hands-on projects uh, to enthuse those students that, that, that are aware. So the first thing is to raise awareness. The success of semiconductors, you know, we're, we're talking over, uh, o- over Zoom uh, using Wi-Fi, um, our, our smartphones all recognise the tremendous change in our society that has been empowered by the success of electronics and semiconductors. It's sort of taken for granted almost. It's part of the infrastructure. You don't go anywhere where you can't get Wi-Fi uh, these days or, 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 you know, top of a mountain almost um, remote places. So it's sort of taken for granted and, and, and it is not seen. So we need to make it more visible, people more aware. And equally aware that there's careers and opportunities in the UK, electronics and semiconductors are not just delivered by uh, large American corporations with manufacturing facilities in the Far East. The electronics uh, and semiconductor sector in the UK represent about 8% of our GDP and employ a million people. So it's a it's a, a significant and important sector for the UK. And therefore, we need to raise the profile within schools, mm-hmm. provide teachers a change of curriculum a little bit to make it more obvious in computing. Maybe the balance has moved too far away from physical aspects of computing to coding so let's get more physical computing let's get more hands-on activities linked to design and technology curriculum and extracurricular activities um, in schools a better and improved careers advice and more engagement with industry that would be my uh, my, my three priorities for um, schools
0: and just expand slightly because one of the things you mentioned there where does or could electronics fit within the curriculum? Because you mentioned design and technology, you mm. mentioned computing, there's an element to which it could appear also in physics or within more general sciences. Yes. It, 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 but it, it's not a subject in itself, at least at the moment it's not a subject in itself. Is that a problem? How does it work?
1: It used to be a subject um, and the Welsh Examining uh, Board still offer it to schools and and there are still a handful of schools and it is a handful of schools uh, in England and also in Wales do offer electronics up to A-level. I think the narrowing of the curriculum to three A-levels and also the expense um, and the resource cost of delivering electronics probably means that's a a ship that sailed. So you're right to highlight actually electronics and semiconductors can be embedded in in other curriculum subject, particularly the design aspect, the creativity aspect of design and technology, absolutely. As I said, more more elements focused on physical computing, understanding how the physical elements of computing work as part of the um, computer science curriculum. Uh, And thirdly, the materials um, and the fundamentals of electronics embedded within the electronics curriculum there's actually quite a bit already in the curriculum it's maybe just providing ways to promote that and build on that and and make sure that it's um it, it's sort of woven throughout the school curriculum and the the extracurricular activities so a couple of specific things that we're looking at uh, to support that, one is to Crest Awards, which you, you probably know, delivered by the British Science Association, um, uh, undertaken um, at different levels. We're looking at developing some projects um, and activities around electronics and semiconductors that could be delivered as part of a Crest programme, Crest Award. EPQs, um, sixth formers who take EPQs, I think there's a lot of evidence uh, that suggests that they do really well at university and reinforces their core subjects. So so we're looking at ways that we can maybe support people who want to undertake EPQs in electronics and related subjects as part of their sixth form studies.
0: Mm. Yeah, no, I think the EPQ route has really changed the, the, the way of bringing additional skills into the curriculum mm. um let's take it one level up then so sure. let's let's think now about universities and, mm. and the teaching i mean there's so many issues we could get into here but one of the obvious one is is the big gender imbalance yes at, uh, at degree level i guess there's a sort of a why but there's the the more more interesting question is so what can universities do about it
1: Yes, I think it's widely recognised that there is a gender imbalance and um, right across our sector. It, it goes, stretches from school, where I think when I saw some data from the Institute of Physics, it's still roughly 21% of those taking A-level physics are female uh, pupils. So it, it starts at sort of school level. And you're right, and it, it's replicated all the way through the pipeline to employment. We're really pleased with what we've done. Uh, I I I think it takes a sustained effort um, and a whole lot of focus. And and it's something that we've been, uh, through our trustees have been really focused on in the last five or six years. As a result, uh, let me say that that I think in triple E degrees there's about 15% uh, female looking at UCAS data. It's just just uh,
0: explain to people what a triple E degree is. Oh, sorry.
1: sorry, Electrical electronic engineering, I beg your pardon. um, the, The family of degrees that cover electronics at university. So out of that, uh, out of those people who are taking those degrees, um, UCAS data shows there's roughly 15% are female. For our undergraduate scholarship scheme, last year 28% of recipients were females. So we've worked really hard on a number of different ways to provide additional support for females who wish to apply and to make sure that it feels inclusive. We've also taken a step back and looking at schools, recognising that there's an awful lot of uh, girls who do take the STEM subjects and are perhaps um, thinking of careers in this, uh, and study in STEM, but maybe not uh, explicitly for the reasons that I've said earlier, aware of semiconductors and electronics. So with the support of our 16 of our partner universities this summer and the financial support greatly received from Apple, we organised a series of girls in electronics events um, these were non-residential because uh, I think residential courses are sometimes a barrier uh, to, to young people wanting to find out more. So there were non-residential days hosted at one of our partner universities in the electrical electronic engineering departments uh, where, where we were able to give uh, participants an insight into what it was like to work, uh, sorry, what's it like to study at university, look around the department, meet some young graduates and engineers who are working in the sector and get some hands-on experience. We had over 400 participants at that, uh, which I think uh, in a sustained way can, can encourage more people to study our subjects. So, so I think it's raising the profile. And I use the expression, uh, real models. Um, we, we don't want role models. What we want is, uh, and, and the evidence suggests that girls make uh, positive choices um, quite early in their academic careers. So, So we need them to see people who look, sound, dress, talk like they do, who are, um, are either studying the subject or have recently graduated and are working. And therefore, they can hopefully inspire them to follow in their footsteps. So, so we spend a lot of time showcasing um, and highlighting some really, uh, really successful young students and engineers um, uh, who, who are working in the sector. I don't think there's a, there's a magic, there's a panacea for this, uh, Gavin, at all. I, I think it, it, takes, it takes sustained effort, focus, and, and interventions at, at a local level, um, inspiring more teachers um, to, to think, to encourage their, their female pupils to think about a subject, um, and all the way through, there isn't there isn't a magic wand at all.
0: No, everyone is involved, and there are many roles. And of course, one of the roles is the the companies, the industry mm. set to themselves. And there's an interesting international comparison because in the United States, we're seeing the electronics industry setting up sort of major new partnerships with universities. Um, and I, I wonder what you think about that and whether similar things uh, could be possible in the UK.
1: It is really good and it's a very positive initiative. Um, You've got to recognise the scale of investment across all of the semiconductor industries uh, in the US uh, with, with the recent um, uh, federal uh, investment is absolutely massive. Uh, that Their scale is enormously bigger than ours. Um, however, we're doing a lot of good things in this country. There's a lot of companies that are really invested in outreach, engagement, partnering universities. And we've seen recently uh, government support through UKRI in terms of a number of different initiatives, that, that there's a proposal um, out at, or a request at the moment for a new center for doctoral training, an innovation and knowledge center, um, and, and some other initiatives around using AI for to improve chip design. All of these, um, and I've seen seen quite a few of these proposals, they all have the aspect of um, equality, diversity and inclusion, and outreach and industry engagement. And part of our role at the foundation is to be be that convener, to bring together industry with with undergraduates and also postgraduates and universities to ensure For instance, uh, involvement of companies in industrial advisory boards, um, in terms of curriculum development, identifying gaps, co-creation of research, undertaking projects, giving students projects and supporting students through advice and placements. I think that link with industry and academia is so important and I've been quite heartened Um, over the last couple of years, last 18 months or so, by how much more it seems to be in people's minds and a number of different initiatives, excepting we're at order of magnitude smaller than the US that that are happening. More needs to be done, but industry gets it through that that they want to be part of a successful ecosystem and they know that skills as reflected in the semiconductor strategy are so important to that. So yeah, the importance is recognised, I see it, which is great, and, and at a practical level, and an individual level, I see some great stuff between companies and universities.
0: So there's some really interesting things going on that you've described. Just to to finish off, let's put a positive hat on and mm. say, if, if we, the UK, get this right, how could the situation in the electronics industry change over the next, say, five to 10 years?
1: I am um, I. I heard um, a futurist speak. He was American, because I think if your job title's futurist, you must be an American, <laughs> mustn't Inevitably, you? Yeah. yes. And he said he said, um, the whole of humanity will change more in the next 20 years uh, than in the rest of history. Now, it's the sort of thing a futurist uh, is likely to say. The way I take for that is uh, that technology is a future and technology depends on electronics and, um, and semiconductors. And if you look at the government's uh, uh, highlighting really important areas of, of technology, uh, as I said, quantum, future telecoms development, um, AI, the whole uh, net zero and, and greening and decarbonisation all relies upon electrification and associated power electronics. So so I I, I think it's really positive, um, really positive that the government have issued the strategy, really positive that uh, the, 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 all the technologies the government is Um, is talking about this very day as we're recording this. I think there's an AI AI conference at Bletchy Park and the Prime Minister's making a speech on AI. AI is more than algorithms and um, uh, data science. It relies on uh, on a whole generation of chips to actually do the processing, which is a particular strength of the UK. So so there's an awful lot of companies um, in the UK all the way through the semiconductor ecosystem from manufacturing all the way back through to design linked to some really great universities. So I think it's very positive, um, but it will take time to change. So if someone is in, you know, a 15 year old is in year nine, gets enthused by electronics, it's going to be another 10 years before they graduate with their master's degree and and are working as a chip designer, for instance. Mm -hmm. So there's no quick fixes. There's interventions right across the skills pipeline all the way back to primary school, all the way through to PhD that are required. But I, I do sense a sea change in the last eighteen months, and if we can build on that momentum, I think the future is positive. Well, that's
0: a lovely place to end on an upbeat note. We'll just have to bring you back in ten years' time to reflect on what a great success it's been.
1: Uh, well, I'd love to, I'd love to come back and uh, and uh, celebrate that success.
0: Fantastic. Um, that's all we have time for, as I said. So Stuart Edmondson, thank you very much.
1: Gavin, it's been a pleasure. Nice to talk to you.
0: You've been listening to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. My guest this week was Stuart Edmondson, Chief Executive of the UK Electronic Skills Foundation. This podcast is one of a range of podcasts we're recording in November to coincide with National Engineering Day on the 1st of November. More details about National Engineering Day can be found on the website of the Royal Academy of Engineering. Meanwhile, on the website of the Foundation for Science and Technology, which is www.foundation.org.uk, you can find information about all the Foundation's events, our journal, and all previous editions of this podcast. Until the next time, goodbye.